What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. This is Jenna. Today, we are here without Sammy, but we are thinking of her, and I started exactly like it should with lots of technical difficulties on my solo podcast recording today. Anyways, I don't want to take anything away from the incredible guest that we have today. I have Alita Storch here, dietitian extraordinaire. I am actually going to read her bio because it's so impressive and we have never had a guest talk about what we are going to talk about today and I'm really excited about it. So Alita is an anti-diet dietitian, therapist, and certified body trust provider, which I want you to tell everyone what that is when we get started because it's incredible. Um, She specializes in providing anti-diet value-centered body liberation work with folks that have disordered eating and a history of dieting and or ADHD. Alita currently works with individual clients in her virtual private practice, which is Wise Heart Nutrition, and also runs a unique and groundbreaking online group program, which is called an anti-diet approach to eating with ADHD, which she developed as a resource for supporting ADHDers in navigating food and eating difficulties and in developing intuitive eating skills in order to nourish both the body and the brain. She offers supervision and consultation for other dietitians, nutritionists, and therapists around best practices for for providing neurodivergent affirming care. Alita grew up in New Mexico and now lives in the Pacific Northwest with her partner and her grumpy old dog, Rhubarb, which makes me laugh so hard. Um, And just, I mean, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. (laughs) I mean, that bio is incredible. I there's so many places I want to start with you today, but I would first just love to hear you're a dietitian and a therapist and a body trust provider. Can you tell people you could take 30 seconds or 30 minutes to speak as how Sammy speaks and just tell us how you got here today and what it is that you do with all the incredible value that you give to this world. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I guess, I'll start where it all started. Um, I had like the incredible privilege to grow up in a diet-free home. And most of my associations from childhood with food and eating are either like neutral or even like pretty positive. So my struggles with food weren't necessarily born out of diet culture, um, but were actually really coming from like this difference in my brain function. Um, So I have combined type ADHD um, and identify as neurodivergent. And so my brain just works a little bit differently. And so growing up, I had a really hard time remembering to eat and I couldn't make decisions about what I wanted to eat. 
I would often like forget to bring um, my lunch to school with me or like even like sitting through meals was really difficult. Um, a funny memory as I was kind of um, getting ready to come on this podcast, I was thinking about like all the ways that my ADHD really um, got in the way of food and eating. And my mom was out of town for some reason and I decided to make mac and cheese from a box and I had never made it by myself. And at the end, I just had like this bowl of like soupy mac and cheese. And it was like, it was literally like soup. And my dad came in and he was like, oh, it looks like you forgot to drain the pasta water before you added the cheese and the butter. And I had no idea that that was a step because I just like didn't read the instructions. I was like, oh, I can do this. This is easy. Um, so I had mac and cheese soup. And I just always think that's such a good example of, um, yeah, like my brain just working a little bit differently and, and making all things food and eating a little bit more um, hard. Um, so there was, there was some consideration when I was a kid around my having ADHD and it was in the 90s. So it was also a time when ADHD was just being talked about as like being overdiagnosing kids. And there were a lot of questions around the legitimacy of the disorder. Um, I remember people saying like, oh, it's just kids being kids. You know, kids should have energy and be hyper. So I didn't get medication. But more importantly, I didn't get like the skills and the tools that were needed and the extra support um, that was needed in order to like show up as a human. Um, so like within that, I never really got the hang of feeding myself. And so I struggled through like middle school, high school. And when I got to college, it became a really big issue because I was on my own um, for the first time in my life. I moved across the country um, from New Mexico to Oregon. And so I didn't have like all of the hands-on support that I had relied on for like 18 years at that point. And I ended up developing an eating disorder. And that started because of like more unintentional restriction, right? Like that forgetting or just not really planning ahead. And eventually that, that led to binge eating, which makes sense. My body was being really smart. Um, but this brought up a lot of shame and fear. Um, I, I was bullied pretty severely growing up, um, probably in part due to um, the ADHD and just like kind of how that made me show up. And so I was really afraid that if my body changed, then like my chances of fitting in would just decrease even more. And so from there, I started restricting more intentionally, and this ended up becoming um, sort of like a restrict binge purge cycle. I got to work with a really wonderful team, um, which I can answer one of your questions that you had in the intro. Um, I got to work with the women from Be Nourished, and they now have um, what's called a certified body trust provider program, program. and it is a like 10 month. I think it can take up to like a year and a half um, training where you're going through modules and it's really rooted in like anti-oppression body liberation work around, um, around food and around body. Um, and it's just a really intensive training. It's, it was really, really wonderful. I feel like I learned a lot from it. Um, and I don't know how many of us there are right now, but it's very anti-diet, very rooted in um, health at every size. Um, yeah, that's kind of a one-of-a-kind program. Um, so where, 
I don't remember where it was before that. No, I know. Um, I distracted you with that question. I'm no, sorry. No, that's okay. No, that's okay. I'm trying. You got yeah. help from a team um, yes. overcoming your eating disorder. And tell me about the dietitian and therapist aspect too. I mean, like you yes. do everything. <laughs> yes. That was actually what led me to wanting to be a dietitian and a therapist um, because I got to work with, with two women who were, I mean, their offices were right across from each other and they were very working very closely and like the appointments felt so separate when it felt like the work was really together. Um, and so I just kind of started looking into programs and found um, Bastyr University has a master's of nutrition with kind of a focus on clinical health psychology. And so once I got to school, I was like, oh, I want to do even more. And so I added the dietetics program, because why not? Which, <laughs> um, you know, I, um, I don't regret, uh, but <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> um, and that, that helps because I can work in other states. And I just, I was kind of geeking out on the nutrition stuff. I was finding that I was really loving it. So I'm really glad that I did that. And like at the start of grad school, I was really struggling with food and I had like done, you know, a lot of the work around um, like feeling okay or, or finding like body acceptance. And, you know, I, I was working on intuitive eating as best I could before going to grad school. Um, but when I got to grad school, I was just like so out of touch with my body's cues. I was kind of a hot mess in terms of like planning and getting things done because I was spending so much time on homework and I was finding school really, really, really hard, probably because of like the food stuff. I think it was a little bit of both ways. Um, and so then I decided to just reach out to a psychiatrist because I was like, this has to be something that that I can do something about. Um, and I was diagnosed officially with the combined type ADHD and started on medication. And then after that, everything became a little easier, including food, but it still wasn't like perfect. It wasn't really that great. And so that was the point where I really had to like sit down and identify the underlying issues and the roadblocks that I was struggling with. And then I had to experiment with like a shit ton of tools and systems until I figured out what worked. And the sad thing about that is that I had to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. um, there weren't any neurodivergent specific resources out there and the crap that was available wasn't actually helpful. I wasn't going to sit down every Sunday night and plan out every single meal because I just wasn't going to do that. <laughs> um, so there was like a lot of failure, um, a lot of meltdowns. And I would say now I have a really great toolbox and it's not always perfect. Um, just last night I went to the grocery store at like 6 p.m. with a list of like four things. You can probably still see it on my palm. Four <laughs> things listed on my palm. <laughs> Um, so that I could get dinner on the table and yeah, I like, you know, almost forget my credit card. And so like, I still definitely really struggle and I have this really great system that I can fall back onto, um, when things are hard and, and that's kind of just how it goes with ADHD. Um, so that's where my desire to help ADHDers came from. You're amazing. And thank you for sharing all of that, for being vulnerable and just for really just allowing other people listening to understand what you and I talked about before we hit record that dietitians are people too. Um, yes. And that it's okay to admit 
that help is needed and helpful, right? That's what it's there for. Um, one of the things I just want to clarify, though, is you were diagnosed with ADHD not until you were in school in your program, or you were diagnosed when you were younger and medic put, went on medication mm -hmm. later in life. Can you clarify that piece for me? Yeah, yeah. So when I was a kid, um, like the pediatrician and doctors kind of threw around the diagnosis. And I, I think I've mentioned this before on other podcasts, like my parents were hippies and they were kind of like, oh, you're, you know, you're great as you are. You don't need medication, which I very much appreciate. And mm -hmm. also um, I think maybe did a little bit of a disservice in the end. Um, so then the official diagnosis came in grad school. Um, okay. And I think the only reason I got that diagnosis was because of like being told that early on, I was kind of like, oh, maybe that was right. And I know a lot of adults don't have, you know, that previous experience and so they have no idea. Um, so I felt really lucky in that, that respect too. I love yeah. your story. I really do. I want to meet your parents. Um, <laughs> so one of the questions that I have, and you know, I can't speak for anyone other than myself today since I'm alone on here. Um, but I think when people think of ADHD, they think of the medication that is an appetite suppressant, or it can, it's not for everybody, it can suppress appetite. And I know that many of the clients that I've worked with in the past have admittedly, you know, mentioned abuse of that medication. Um, it's a study aid, quote unquote, in college for people. And, you know, I'm not condoning any of this. This is things that we've heard and we've actually discussed on this podcast before. Very disordered relationship with food connected. And so when somebody actually needs this medication, right, and it's going to help them and it does impact their appetite, how do you work with a client in that respect and kind of help them overcome that when their body's natural cues might be lessened to some extent? Yeah, yeah, that's such a great question. And I really appreciate you like naming the piece too that um, oftentimes the medication is abused and that can like get in the way of um, people who need it are access to the actual medication. It's very difficult to get. You have to see a doctor every month. You have to pick up your prescription every month, which is ironic given that we can't remember anything. <laughs> a very good <laughs> so, point. <laughs> yes, yes, it's, it's really fun. Um, but yeah, that is a huge issue. And typically it's the worst, like the appetite is most impacted early on with medication and then it it kind of wears off and like it's always still there for for folks who who experience that um and so I always used to think like intuitive eating wasn't possible because of that right like well I can't listen to my body because if I did then like I would never eat because I don't feel hungry or I would not eat all day and then I would eat everything at night because when it wears off your body kind of catches up and you feel really hungry. So a lot of ADHDers struggle with like that restrict binge cycle from day to day. Um, and will often, you know, blame the binging or oftentimes it gets blamed on, um, you know, dopamine seeking. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're binging because, because you need a hit of dopamine in your brain. When really it's like, no, you're binging because you didn't eat all day um, because your appetite has been suppressed. So often with, oftentimes with clients, I will talk about um, kind of relying on mechanical eating during the day mm -hmm. and 
just sort of understanding, like maybe doing some days without medication to kind of understand like, what are your body's normal rhythms? You know, are you typically hungry at this time? What usually sounds good at breakfast? And just sort of planning that in throughout the week. Um, not necessarily saying like, I have to do this thing at this time, but the more familiar you can get with your body off of medication, the easier it is to then feed it when you are on medication. And if you're getting to the end of the day and you're super ravenous, that's really good information that you're not eating enough earlier in the day. Um, and so I like, I like to tell clients to set a timer like every three to four hours and either eat something, like it could just be a handful of something, or like really check in with their body. And sometimes it's, it's easier to kind of like identify these other hunger cues that we don't talk about. Um, and they overlap with ADHD. So if after four hours you notice like, gosh, I like really am struggling with concentration, which is an ADHD symptom. I am feeling really tired, which a lot of ADHDers struggle with. Um, so those sorts of things, that's actually probably more related to hunger than it is ADHD if you're, if you're on medication, right? Like the medication will help with that stuff. Um, and so I think that's been pretty um, game-changing for clients who just thought their ADHD symptoms were, you know, out of control all over the place and then realized like, oh, my body is actually just really hungry. <laughs> I love, yeah. I yeah. love how you put that, like love how you, I was taking notes, that you essentially stated that you're asking your clients to look for feedback right and what we tell clients all the time is to become a student of yourself and oftentimes clients with or without ADHD that are starting a food freedom journey don't understand how to listen to their body's cues and feedback whether it's under fueling or you know eating at different times of day that maybe make them feel great or not so great, whatever the case may be, and really becoming a student to figure out what feels good before, during, and after is so important. And I love how you put the word feedback with it because I think it sounds sciencey and really, really important. And it's so true because once we go inwards and we look introspectively with ourselves when it comes to this journey, we can learn so much. But oftentimes we're looking outwards for the social media information and Googled information and TikTok stupid information that I'm so fucking sick of right now. <laughs> um, and we forget that our body is our best teacher. And I think that that was a really great way um, that you put that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I, I often use science as a way to like get buy-in from clients as well. Um, mm -hmm. because <laughs> I think if it's framed more as like information and data, that's easier to trust in some ways, um, rather than just like, oh, like trust your body's signals or cues, right? Like <laughs> if you can bring curiosity. Um, the best that, word. Yes. Word. And I like <laughs> that you said that too, because it's like, we have to prove ourselves to people now because there's so mm -hmm. many people out there that are posing to be nutrition experts um, and selling detoxes all over, again, TikTok. So I'm just yes. going to pick on TikTok today because I'm tired <laughs> of it. Um, but when we, before we started recording, one of the things that you had mentioned wanting to talk about today was just how diet culture shows up in the ADHD community. And I think that, again, this is this is uncharted territories for the What the Actual Fork podcast. And you are the expert. And I would love to just hear your thoughts on 
that um, because I'm so curious. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, I too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting um, how it shows up. Like obviously, it's going to show up in all the same ways that it does in. Um, kind of, you know, everyday life. Um, and then there's this like added piece that there's an assumption that like ADHDers don't have like quote unquote, like willpower or um, control over our, our decisions, our impulses, um, and even our bodies. And so there is a lot of information um, saying that ADHDers tend to be binge eaters. And, hmm. and that's really like all of the focus um, around food and eating is like how to prevent yourself from binge eating. And I feel like that's really rooted in diet culture because it's, you know, it's putting the blame on the binge eating and it's um, like automatically naming the binge eating as the problem without identifying like all of the different factors that could be leading to that. And so for some people, maybe it is like a stimulation thing. Maybe it is, you know, seeking that dopamine hit. Um, ADHD brains have less dopamine available. And then also the transporters that move dopamine around are, are fewer. Um, and so anything that creates dopamine can feel really helpful, um, especially when it comes to motivation. So that might be the case. And I would say that's only true if someone is fully nourished, right? Uh, like we, we can't, we can't really blame it on anything else um, other than undernourishment until we've kind of proven otherwise. And so, yeah, I think it, it's just a bummer that we don't <laughs> talk about all the ways that ADHDers end up undernourished. Um, and whether that's like, you know, eating enough energy-wise, but not getting any variety from, you know, eating kind of the same things every day or um, just kind of snacking throughout the day and never really feeling satisfied um, to, you know, just not eating enough in general. Um, and, and then the other piece is around sugar. There, I can't tell you how many times I have read articles that like sugar, you know, sugar is evil for ADHD brains and like just no. <laughs> it's not true. Um, you know, there's like sugar, food coloring, um, preservatives, that sort of stuff. The food dye and the preservatives came from research that was done in the 70s. And it was by um, a man by the name of Dr. Feingold. And he claimed that these foods were causing ADHD symptoms or making ADHD symptoms worse. But when they really looked at his research, there were so many issues with his approach and um, his reporting. He, he was relying on feedback from parents. That was like how he was determining how kids were acting <laughs> um, rather than doing like any scientific research at all. Actual so, research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when that information comes out, like, you know, people aren't aware of where that's actually coming from, how that originated. And so we just take it as truth when really like there's nothing to it. There's zero evidence that all of these foods worsen ADHD symptoms and actually like being undernourished is what worsens ADHD symptoms. And yet like that's not talked about at all. I've actually never heard somebody connect those dots before. And I'm like, my mind is racing of all of the conversations that I could have had with people <laughs> when these types of things come up or when I see these 
it's mostly in the comment section that really like burns my ass with um, anger towards diet culture. But yes. it is like, that is such an incredible point. And you've myth busted intuitive eating and ADHD go hand in hand. Like people would probably fight you on that. I'm sure. Yes. Um, but <laughs> you've essentially myth busted that. And you've also in this conversation thus far, myth busted the fact that intuitive eating because we are an intuitive eating podcast is not rooted in science and people like to fight us on that statement and what you're stating here is no I like to educate my clients on science and I like to educate them on you know how food impacts their body and what it does and why they need it and how it can help their ADHD symptoms or help make their bodies feel better with a with ADHD. And I think that that is so important that I just want to say it like 12 times so that everybody hears that <laughs> science is really important. And that as dietitians that practice intuitive eating, we still believe in science. Like, I can't tell you, I feel like I say that in every episode yes. now, because it's just all over social media that, you know, people, people don't want to believe that this works right um and it's unfortunate that people will feed off of for lack of a better term the most toxic information just out of hope that you know that's an answer and that's something that they can do oh if i just cut out food dye you know my child will have better results but it's it's sad to me that we're still not in a space where people want to believe that that eating consistently is actually the answer yes. to most things right <laughs> yes yes we would all be so much happier and yeah better off if we all just if ate we enough were <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. yeah yeah oh, and like goodness. I mean I get it right with parents who maybe put their yes. kids on elimination diets like I was a really tough child. Um, I remember like throwing a muffin at my mom's head because I was probably really hungry. <laughs> I was just having a meltdown. And, you know, I know a, a lot of kids have that experience, but I think as a parent, um, neurodivergent children can be trying. Um, and so it would make sense that you would want to try everything to, to support them. And for some people, if that means cutting out sugar, they're going to try it. Um, and yeah, that's just not, not a good thing to start children out with. No, your compassion is so beautiful. Um, everything that you have stated so far has given our audience so much powerful information. And so I want to just quickly move into a more, like a, a totally different topic. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. I'm just reading your sheet again. Talk to me about some kitchen fails. What is this? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh I man. See it on your sheet. Yes. And if you don't want to talk about it, we can skip oh. over that because we can totally fill time with uh, talking more again about body trust, which is an incredible topic that I do want to finish off with today. But I'm reading anything you want to talk about today, kitchen fails, and it just sparked yes. my curiosity because I have plenty of them. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I I have so many kitchen fails. Um, and I used to think like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. Like, you know, why can't I get my shit together? Why is this happening? And sort of realizing like, okay, again, like my brain is just kind mm -hmm. of in a million different places. Um, and so, I mean, even things as simple as like last week I was making burgers and I wanted to toast the buns and 
I lit them on fire and didn't actually even notice that they were on fire until my partner was like, um, there's smoke everywhere. What is happening? But I was just like so zoned out and thinking about other things that I totally missed that. Um, and so, you know, just like little things like that happen all of the time or, you know, making cookies and putting salt in them instead of sugar and then, you know, trying to eat them and being like, okay, yep, that didn't work. <laughs> so there we go again. <laughs> um, and then oftentimes, you know, I, I find that clients will like make plans for meals and then maybe like forget to get an ingredient. And so then like have to get creative and like maybe that doesn't go so well. And so I find like kitchen fails, I feel like there's a lesson to be learned in every hmm. kitchen fail <laughs> yeah. in some way or another, right? Like there's something, there's something in that that you can take away. And then they're also just like an opportunity to like laugh and have some humor and bring levity to the experience um, because like these quote unquote failures show up so much again and again and again. And the kitchen I find is a place where I can laugh about it because it's really like pretty low stakes for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I'll often just like ask clients, you know, to tell me like their best kitchen fail or what they thought was their worst kitchen fail. And then, and then we can breaker. laugh about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Did that answer your question? Or? Yes. It's normalizing the fact that plans fail. Right. And yes. that's where the learning is. I love that message. And yeah. again, it is something that is not talked about enough coming from a dietitian too. Like oftentimes, you know, everybody, people ask me sometimes like, oh, it makes it look, your Instagram makes it look like you love to cook or like cooking just comes so easily to you. And I'm like, no, like I open the fridge and it's like, what can I just throw in a bowl? <laughs> like <Yes>. Sometimes <laughs> it might look, you know, complicated and I get that. And I try very hard to normalize um, my lack of cooking skills yes <laughs> um, but I love the way that you put it that there is something that you can learn from every time you have an experience that doesn't go as planned because that's life is what we're learning as we get older over here yes. at what the actual yes, we are <laughs> yes adulting is hard adulting is yes. so hard yes um oh, well we have covered so many great things today I do before I let you leave us, I do want to just hear if you can just share a little bit more about the Body Trust um, program, just because it is a resource that I actually send all of my clients to because I read one of their pamphlets once and I just found it. So like everything I had, all of the words that I had in my head, they put on paper so beautifully. And I was like, oh, I don't need to, to write this. I'm going to send all of my clients here. <laughs> um, can you just talk a little bit about what Body trust is or like how yeah. you help a client understand what that means? Yeah, um, I love that question. And um, Body Trust was, again, um, created by the women at Be Nourished. Um, so they're the ones who did the certification program. And I like to think of Body Trust as like really getting to know your body and kind of taking something like intuitive eating and taking it a step further where it's not like just about hunger and fullness. It's about all of these external factors that are happening to you day in and day out and, and really trusting that your body 
can handle it, that your body will get through it, that your body will sort it out. Um, and before we, before we started recording, I was letting you know, like I'm moving and I'm planning a wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Like I feel so disconnected from my body right now. And you know, I've been like eating a lot of takeout and throwing together really random meals. And there was a time in my life where I would have had a lot of judgment around that or, you know, felt like, oh my gosh, like my body is, you know, going to respond poorly. This is going to be terrible. And so even if, you know, like my body, maybe I have like indigestion, just sort of trusting, like, that's okay. My body can handle digestion or indigestion. Like I'm going to get through it. And, and like knowing that your body is on your side um, and that that's something that it's taken me a long time to learn um, that my body is like, it really wants to keep me alive. It really wants to <laughs> it loves me back. keep me happy. Yes. Yes. Um, and so that, that's how I would describe body trust. And I think everyone in the program maybe has their own take on it, um, but it's sort of this like your body within context, um, and always, always bringing curiosity and always learning. Yeah. I love that so much. And again, another amazing point that you just added on here is that your body's on your team. And I think oftentimes people, people don't want to believe that when we're like in our very disordered states, when it comes to diet culture, it's like, Oh, my body hates this or is working against me here. And I hear that so often from clients, but when we really get down and like go deep and we can understand and recognize like our body is on our team and like, what does that mean? And how can we be a better teammate? Um, is something I always like to ask people and, you know, it's a tough question to answer, especially if you've been in your disordered state maybe for a long time. And so anybody listening, I encourage you to journal on that. I think that, um, that would be a really good one, but Alita, you have given us so much to think about today. Um, This conversation was so easy and filled with so much information. And I want to wrap it up in a beautiful bow. Um, And if there's one thing that you hope listeners walk away with from this episode, what would it be? And what would be something that you'd want them to remember um, or remember to do? Or we've had people say on this podcast, you know, I actually didn't mention this, but this is what I would want somebody to remember or to do or to know. Um, That's fair game also. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Ooh, um, no pressure. It can be more than one and take your time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I think something I always come back to is self-compassion, right? Like, if you're not working on self-compassion, none of this is going to be helpful. Um, and, and it's something like I try and make even like one minute a day for just sort of reflecting on like, okay, like I'm a human. What did I do? That's great. Um, and then, yeah, like always bringing curiosity to your experience. And the big thing I think for folks with ADHD who are listening is just remembering that like you are not broken, that it's the system that was not set up for you um, versus you not being set up for the system. And so really being able to challenge um, kind of that traditional model of what it means to to approach food and intuitive eating um, and making it work for you. And that's possible. So good. And where can everybody find you, stalk you, and learn all about the things (laughs) that you have to offer? And if you have any 
I, I, all of your resources, please share. <laughs> okay. Yes, please come to me. Um, I am, I'm on Instagram at the underscore ADHD underscore RD. And my website is wiseheartnutrition.com. And you can learn more about my ADHD um, group program, which I'm actually going to be working on turning it into a monthly membership um, so that it's that. a little bit more accessible to everybody. Um, so yeah, you can find more about that on my website and on my Instagram. And I am on TikTok, but I never post on TikTok. So Better yeah, that way. If you find me there, cool, but don't worry about it. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, Alita, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of this with us. We appreciate you and to everybody listening. Thank you for being here. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at What the Actual Fork Pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun.